Welcome back to Two Keto Dudes. This is Carl Franklin from Connecticut. I went keto in 2016 to reverse diabetes and lose weight. And now it's my mission to spread the science of keto and to show the world how cooking is really necessary for keto success. Oh yeah, bacon. 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 And I'm Carrie Brown, and I also live in Connecticut, just a different part to Carl. I'm a trained pastry chef who went keto to control and eventually eliminate symptoms from bipolar 2 disorder and depression. I take no medications, I have no symptoms, and it's my mission to show the world that keto food is not only delicious, but it can be better than any other kind of food. And this show is a document of our experiences thriving for years in nutritional ketosis. And our experiences reversing diabetes and depression and feeling better than we ever have before. And hopefully that might help a few people who are curious about about this kind of dietary hacking. Now, we don't give medical advice because neither Carl nor I are doctors. Right. We just want to share our experiences and review the research that supports it. Oh, and more bacon. Always more bacon. We share our recipes and any science we find in the show notes. That's my favorite part. The recipes. Yeah. So let's start podcast number 175, Lipoproteins and the Immune System. But before we get started, Carl, let's explain in plain English what a ketogenic diet is. Right. That's any diet that puts you into a state of ketosis where you're burning fat for energy rather than glucose. And the way we did it was to limit our carbohydrates to 20 grams or less every day have a moderate amount of protein, one to one and a half grams per kilogram of lean body mass, and all our energy comes from fat. Fat? Fat, fatty, fat, 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 yes. If you're just starting, listen to our starting keto show at start.2keto.com or just start listening from episode one. So, Carrie, <laughs> how was your week? You're you're laughing at me, Mr. Franklin, and I think I that's am. a bit mean. Because <laughs> you've already told us how your week was. Because now I've you get to tell everybody. With you and and most of it will be entirely TMI for our, <laughs> our friends listening. So, yeah. um, and I think it's very mean of you to laugh about my oh, right, unfortunate well. week. <laughs> I'm really happy that you're feeling much better now. <laughs> Yes, so it's been a week. I have been, um, how should we say it, out of commission most of the week. My body has decided that it just didn't, lots of, of parts of my body decided they didn't want to function correctly. Let's put it that way. And you can right. fill in the blanks on most of that. But yeah. I do. I'll, I will say that uh, I have had three migraines since Sunday. So it hasn't oh. been a fun week. However, a couple of super cool things did happen. One being that Priscilla joined the family. Priscilla? Priscilla. And Who is Priscilla? she is uh, feisty in a, in a good way. Uh, little kitten? Feisty little grey kitten. Nice. Who is um, sorting all the bigger kitties out. She's upgraded herself to their keto kibble, so she's a smart <laughs> kitty. And um, you may hear, hear some growling and hissing going on, and that's not me. <laughs> so the other thing, really cool thing that happened this week was that the lovely Kim Howerton and I 
launched the third round of our Happy Healthy Keto eight-week program. So any of you who are stalled or bored with what you're eating or not getting the results you want or just feel like you need that extra support and community, uh, come join us. Good. And all the other parts of my week, we'll just skip over like they never happened. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what about you, Mr. Franklin? What have you been up to? Well, uh, I made bazooka lasagna at RD86 last night. Yum! And this is going to be the white lasagna that I'm serving uh, at my cooking demo down there. And uh, some friends of ours, Seth and Joanne, came down from the the quiet corner of Connecticut, or maybe it's the west northwestern quiet corner. The moose corner, that's what you mean. Yeah, yeah that's the, right. The M-O-O-S-E corner, moose corner. Yep. Not the strawberry moose corner. Huh? No, no. Well, anyway, they came down, they made a long trip and um, came for dinner just as it was coming out of the oven and it was beautiful. Uh, a couple of the waitresses there were like, ooh, what's that? And I said, well, go ahead, have a taste. So... We were talking about this, and it, and uh, the waitress was walking around with it, and a couple at a table uh, across from us heard us talking about it and say, did I hear you say keto lasagna? <laughs> and I'm like, why, yeah. And what's in it? And I talked about the bazoodles a bit, and then I just saw their eyes kind of sink, you know, like, I want some of that. <laughs> <laughs> did you share? Were, were you course. a good neighbor? Of course. So I Yay. brought out the last piece. And uh, and then uh, Karen Jones came in, and we unfortunately didn't have any for her. <gasps> and Karen Jones is like the most important person in our universe right now. I know. It got all scarfed down by us, by waitresses, you know, by handing out the last little bite. We'll 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 make it up to you, Karen. Well, she said it was okay because she wasn't really hungry anyway. But okay, um, yeah, we'll still make it up to you. But but that was really really good. Uh, in other news, my computer that I normally use to record podcasts and stuff died. Oops. And I'm in a different room. That's why it sounds a little bit um, echoey in here. I could say something about Windows machines, but I'm gonna I'm gonna zip that up. Yeah, I don't think it was Windows per se. I think the hard drive controller in my machine went bad. I know, but us Mac users just love to to take the Mickey out of Windows machines all the time. It's just it's just one of life's little pleasures for us. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And, Especially you know, pe- those of us who work for Microsoft for seventeen years. At least when I have a problem, I can fix it. <laughs> well, unlike yeah, but, having to take y- it back to the Mac store and pay another $2,000 for another machine because nobody knows how to fix Mac. Hey, do you know what happened last November when I took mine back to the Mac store? What? They said, oh, give me a minute. And the guy went into the back room and he came back with a $4,000 shiny new 15-inch MacBook Pro with all the things and he said – how about you just take that one? He said, but there's a problem. And I'm going, okay, what's the problem? He said, we didn't have one exactly the same as yours. So this one has the 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 bigger RAM and the and the better video machine. He said, 
And um, and also, we didn't have a silver one, so this is space gray. Would that be okay? Oh, man. That was nice of them. So I hugged him, which may have been a little in- inappropriate, but I didn't care. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that was my experience of taking a machine back to the Mac store. Well, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I actually have a beautiful MacBook Pro. And this is what I use to run Windows. Because it runs Windows really well. And I also <laughs> run Mac OS. Hey, I, I know we've gone a bit off sideways here, but did you know that Microsoft actually make more money on their software out of Mac users than Windows users? That's because Mac users have more disposable income per capita. <laughs> it's obvious because they um, spend $1,000 really? on a phone. Wait, what? <laughs> they do? I must have missed that memo. <laughs> Anyway, the other thing is, you know, I've been prepping for Keto Fest and we've all been working with the vendors and with the rental places and everything's coming together just like last year. So um, we're we're just really, really looking forward to it. And if you still want to come, there's still time to sign up. You always make it happen, Mr. Franklin. Yeah, have to. It's Keto Fest. Yeah. All right, well, let's give away a Two Keto Dudes coffee mug to one lucky member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club, which you can join for free at fanclub.twoketo.com. Let's. And who are we going to give our mug to today, Carl? Today's mug goes to Michelle Zouts. Yay! Good job, Michelle. And Michelle wins a coffee mug just for being a member of the Two Keto Dudes fan club. And if you don't want to wait to win a coffee mug, you can get one online at gear.twoketo.com. Right. Okay, you know what time it is now, guys. It's time for a letter. Siobhan, what time is it? Mail. (laughs) Close enough. All right, this one comes from the uh, newbies section and the subsection tips from the oldies on the ketogenic forums, which you can get to at forum.2keto.com. Is that that oldies as in uh, octogenarians or oldies as in been on keto forever? I think the latter is the appropriate uh, assertion. All right. Yep. So this comes from Hypatia, and Hypatia says, Since being on a keto diet, I have a nasty taste in my mouth, and my teeth feel furry. Is this normal? I don't know if it's related to my diet, because according to my pee sticks and the scales, I'm not in ketosis. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Well, a couple of comments. First of all, when you start ketosis, you're making a ketone body acetone. And this is sort of the first stage in the process. And it comes out your skin, and it comes out your breath. And yes, it does taste nasty. As for the fuzzy mouth thing, the only time I have furry teeth is when I used to eat fruit and carbs. Me too. You- me, me too. I, that, that, that's, I'm not really sure what to say, because the only time I have furry teeth is, well, you know, post-hangover, but I haven't had one of those for 20 years. Uh, or when I've been eating something sugary or things that turn to sugar as soon as you've eaten them. And in a quintessential rude answer, somebody said toothbrush meat toothpaste. And that was pretty rude. Yeah. So the Hypatia said, you know, there's nothing wrong with my oral hygiene, but clearly something wrong with your manners. Let's be nice out there, kids. 
Yes. Always be nice. If you have Always nothing nice, nice to say, say nothing at all. Right. So this is a common thing, though. When you start ketosis, you're going to have this fruity breath. You might smell little like alcoholic stuff coming off your breath. It's it's acetone, and but that phase goes away quickly, uh, maybe in a week or two, and then you know you're you'll you'll be normal soon. And I you know I think this speaks to the challenge of starting a ketogenic diet, which is a lot of people think, you know, they're so focused on the end goal, they don't realize that their body has to go through this big transformation. You know, and the transformation, you may have electrolyte imbalances, you may get headaches, you may feel tired, you may have crazy fruity breath, you might get a rash, like there's, it's not trivial for some people. And you have to wait it out. That You just don't think to yourself, well, keto isn't for me. My body doesn't like keto because this is just the first stage. You have to get to fat adapted before the magic happens. The only thing that, that just occurred to me is maybe if you're eating something like, you know, if you eat some tomatoes or if you do eat some of the, the veggies and they're they're a little bit on the starchier side of the on the veggie spectrum that maybe that's what's causing it so you might want to just try a week of carnivore mm-hmm. and and eggs you know eggs and meat and of course there is there are a little bit of carbs in heavy cream so if you if you're doing a lot of heavy cream or dairy products you that might be enough carbs for you to cause that kind of furry teeth thing so maybe do a week of meat and eggs and and see what happens see if that changes anything and right. um and Test and let's hope that, that that's what it is the other thing i can think of is spinach gives a very kind of um, oh, that's Jessica. true. Spinach makes your mouth right claggy. Yeah, it does, and it, it can. I, I could see how one could interpret that as furry, but it's more like dried out. It, it sort of dries out your palate. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, the infamous the peanut butter and the nut butters um, can give you that same effect. But I wouldn't have thought. But normally that clears after a little while so i honestly would try meat and eggs for a week i think that's good advice carrie um and and we've been talking about that lately it seems that anytime you're concerned about a particular food sabotaging you or whatever just go back to bacon and eggs and steak and pork chops and whatever until you and, and if all that goes away now you can start adding back the foods that you want to eat one by one until you find the problem You said pork chops. I did. Okay, now it's time to talk to our very own Siobhan Huggins. Hello. A.K.A. Lipid Girl. Okay, let's bring on Siobhan, our very own Siobhan Huggins. Hi, Siobhan. Hello. A.K.A. Lipid Girl. Absolutely. Um, Incredible citizen scientist. At KetoFest 2017, she started down the rabbit hole of LDL research after talking to Dave Feldman. And her citizen scientist kicked into high gear. She hit the books hard trying to understand how the mechanics of the lipid system works. And she's uh, discovered some pretty interesting insights. So welcome. And I can't wait to hear what you've discovered. Thank you for having me on. Um, So probably the most interesting thing that I've been focusing on pretty much close to the start has just been lipidology and its intersection with immunology, which is the study of the immune system. And generally, when you think about things like cholesterol or LDL or HDL, 
you don't really tend to think of things like colds or fevers or anything like that. You tend mm. to just think of heart disease or diabetes or bad stuff. But they right. actually do appear to have a functionality within the immune system in that they can do things like bind to pathogens. It's been speculated that they can provide some materials for immune cells so that they can have materials on hand. They can also neutralize endotoxins, which can harm our cells, and those are coming from bacteria and things like that. Um, wow. So they can kind of hook up to those and neutralize them so our immune cells don't freak out as bad, and that also helps protect us in the end. Let's define what a lipoprotein is, and are we just talking about LDL? So a lipoprotein is a lipid-carrying protein, so it's like a protein shell that has identifying proteins on it that help it do its job. And then on the inside, it carries lipids, so that's triglycerides, cholesterol, uh, fat-soluble vitamins, things like that. And this isn't just applying to LDL. Uh, it actually applies to pretty much every lipoprotein has some immune involvement. Uh, HDL helps uh, coordinate inflammation and things like that. LDL helps bind to pathogens, uh, neutralize endotoxins, as do chylomicrons and even lipoprotein little a, which is getting more face time recently, uh, mostly as a cardiovascular risk factor, but it does a lot more than that. Mm. So I'm curious, Siobhan, what came first for you? Did keto come first and, and, and then what you're doing now? Or was that first and then you realized that you wanted to try keto? What was the fascination for you? How did you get into this? So keto definitely came first. And that was because um, in 2015, I was at my highest weight at 240 pounds. I had hypertension and I was only 19 at the time. And I actually did get a talk from my doctor about the highest cholesterol he had ever seen. Um, luckily I had my mom on my side and she talked me through some of the cholesterol stuff and how some of the association seems to be very different for women in particular. Mm. Um, but not only that, she was the one who introduced me to keto because I had gone in saying like, I'm going to try calorie restriction again, which I'd tried like 15 million times before it didn't do anything. And she's like, well, I've been looking into this keto thing and why don't we try it together and see what happens? Um, and my mom is a very smart person. She's one of the smartest people I know. And so I was like, okay, this can't be nothing. She's obviously done her research. So I went ahead and tried it. Um, and that ultimately culminated in me going to KetoFest because I had heard about the dudes. I had kind of joined into their community and I decided to volunteer there. And that's where I met Dave. And we started talking because he was describing the lipid system as this network. And I was working with computers at the time, and they've always fascinated me. So we started talking back and forth, kind of going through things. And one of the first things he mentioned to me actually was that LDL can bind to pathogens. And I was like, I've never heard that before. Like, how is this not talked about? Yeah. And so kind of throughout this entire thing, it's been almost two years now, that immune system involvement has always fascinated me because you never hear about it. It's just never discussed, which is so fascinating to me because as soon as you dip your toe in, it's like, wait a minute, this is really cool. Yeah, and people should know about it. Yeah, definitely. So you, you, you're already keto, you meet Dave, and, 
how could you not fall in love with Dave? Because he's adorable of as course. well as super smart. <laughs> and he's one of the kindest people I've ever met. Mm-hmm. So you became fascinated with it. What was the thing that kind of really gripped you and made you go like, this is what I want to spend my my life's work doing? It was the way Dave was talking about it because he was talking about certain things like, oh yeah, maybe LDL gets oxidized in the bloodstream, it binds to pathogens, maybe this is connected, maybe there's more to this story. And he was saying it in a way like he obviously didn't know because none of us know. Hmm. And it's like someone setting down this box of puzzle pieces and saying, I think it makes this picture, but I don't really know. And, you know, I'm kind of focusing on this other thing. Like, I'm not the type of person who can be like, oh, okay, I'll just wait for them to come back to it and fix it, like, make it for me and tell me what they find. It's like, no, you can't, like, put that down in front of me (laughs) and then, like, (laughs) not tell me the answer. (laughs) Like, I'm a puzzle solver. And so it was just like, him acknowledging up front that we just don't know, but it could be this really interesting thing that caught my attention. And it's like, okay, I can't put this down until I figure out how all of this works. <laughs> so I uh, basically, I think what you're saying is that having high LDL, as many people do when they go keto, is not only not a bad thing, but there are so many benefits, including benefits to your immune system. And attaching to pathogens is just one of them. What are some of the other interactions that we get? So I wouldn't necessarily say having high LDL is not bad because I don't think we know that for sure. Um, There is some stuff like uh, Dave talked about the NHANES data um, at Low Carb Salt Lake. And that's kind of putting forth that maybe there actually is more context needed for this. But cholesterol actually does a lot of things. If our cells are damaged, they can put out LDL receptors, which they can use to grab LDL, break it down, and take that material to repair themselves. Um, LDL can also provide materials to immune cells. They use cholesterol for antigen presentation, which is essentially taking broken pieces of, say, bacteria, and these are identifying pieces, and they can hand that off to other immune cells to help spread the word that this is what we're looking for, this is the problem, and sometimes make antibodies as well. Um, Cholesterol is also used to make hormones like estrogen, um, testosterone, very important things. And uh, cholesterol is also heavily needed in the brain. Some will say that the brain makes all the cholesterol that it needs, but there is a paper out there saying that we can transport some LDL across the blood-brain barrier. I don't think we know the context in which we might do that, Um, but it would make sense if there was, say, an injury, it would at least provide a little bit more above what we can make. So Yeah, it makes sense. The the body is magic in so many different ways that this is just another just another way. Yeah. Uh, I think brain cholesterol is just like so hideously complicated and we don't really understand most of it. Hmm. So I guess I guess high cholesterol we don't really know, but certainly you don't want it too low because of all these good things that we're doing. So, I mean, y- your typical experience is you go keto, all your markers improve, your cholesterol, your LDL and your cholesterol total go up, and your doctor says, I'm going to have to put you on a statin. This is terrible. You're going to die. Sit down. Do you feel okay? 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and that's kind of the reaction I got from my old doctor, not my current doctor. Um, and a lot of people do come to us at Cholesterol Code with that kind of, am I dying? And it's like, well, we're all dying. But like more seriously, the only thing we can really do, because this is an unknown, is we can point you to the research that we have in both directions. And ultimately, what's going to matter most is you have to do what's most comfortable for you, because you're the one who has to live with that decision. If having high cholesterol is freaking you out and causing all this stress that you just can't cope with, like, probably the easiest solution is to swap some fat for carbs, and that will bring it down because of the energy metabolism side of things. But some people are also comfortable with it. So it's really up to the person. So is there a downside to having low cholesterol where it comes to immune function? Um, or low LDL? There are some uh, animal studies suggesting that there may be a benefit to higher levels. Um, so there was actually a rat study where they wiped out these rats' ability to clear their cholesterol properly, their LDL. And this resulted in cholesterol levels that were seven times higher than normal. And the control mice were just like normal everyday mice. They had normal levels. And the uh, control mice, they had a 0% survival rate when they were injected with salmonella. Whoa. But the ones with the seven times higher LDL had a 95% survival rate. So that's I would say of. that's pretty significant. Wow. And part of that is because this LDL is binding to the salmonella on certain points of its body, you could say. And those points help salmonella get into our cells. And so with the higher levels of LDL, it's blocking all these kind of entry points. So the salmonella can't get into our organs. And, and salmonella is a bacteria. Yeah, it's a, a bacteria. bacterial infection. And this, this sort of jibes with my experiences of fasting away a bacterial infection, because we all know when you fast, your LDL goes up. Yeah. And um, we also do have mechanisms to increase our cholesterol and our LDL when we get sick. Mm. Um, and I think fasting could potentially be beneficial on top of that because not only are you kind of creating this controlled environment, you're also, you know, not digesting stuff as much so your body can focus on what it needs to and all that type of stuff. Right. Um, but part of what's really interesting is the mechanism for how we get this stuff onto the field because it's like, okay, well, if we're transporting fat, then we make lipoproteins, but what does that have to do with infection? And part of what it is, is inflammation from the infection can cause transient insulin resistance, which will cascade all this type of stuff into action. So we're creating more triglycerides, we're getting more triglycerides from our fat. Can you say that again? Um, yeah, so but it's the inflammation from infection can cause transient insulin resistance. Okay. And this is a good thing, <laughs> because this sets off a whole ton of mechanisms. It downregulates ketones. It upregulates uh, blood glucose, which our immune cells need for not only for fuel, but creating some of the weapons that they use against pathogens. Um, and then it also creates this cascade of fats coming from our fat cells to the liver. We're creating more new fat. And we're creating more of these identifying proteins that we need for kind of scaffolding for making these guys and shipping them out. 
and mm. just like all of this stuff. And it's very fascinating because I've gotten blood work while I was sick, like feverish and sweating and just walking into the lab like, all right, <laughs> take my blood. I want to see what this looks like. And if you had looked at it in isolation, you would have thought I was you know, diabetic or had metabolic syndrome or something like that because mm. they look very similar and they share a lot of these same pathways. It's fascinating to me. And at least in infection, these are protective mechanisms because we have the right. lipoproteins that can help our immune function. We have the glucose, which is helping our immune cells. We have the inflammation, which helps us defend ourselves and to heal and to maintain our tissue and all this type of stuff. And we got to say that this is acute inflammation. Acute it's inflammation, going, yeah. Yeah, it's going to inflame and then it's going to subside. It's not chronic, which is right. like you're always inflamed. Yeah. And that's a problem. And I think the big issue with chronic inflammation, honestly, is it is implying you're chronically needing inflammation and that's not normal. Yeah. You're doing something that's setting off all of this massive, massive pathways every single day. It's like, Okay, <laughs> like yeah. needing to take your car in for maintenance or give it a new paint job or whatever, that's normal. Needing to take your car into the mechanic and have it looked at every single day, mm. I don't know what you're doing, but change something, please. <laughs> <laughs> Stop using Crisco. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, and just another um, anecdote of somebody who went keto and was the world's had the world's whitest, badly burning skin in the sun, <laughs> and then went keto, and, and a year later can spend one, two, three hours out in the sun without burning. That's fascinating. I have heard that like six times from different people this week yeah. about the whole tanning thing, the tanning right. miracle that is keto. Well, you know, the sun is coming out, so those stories get get, get told around this time of year where we are. But um, I think, and from what I've heard people who know talk about, vegetable oils tend to really uh, exacerbate that problem, right? And when you take the vegetable oils out of your diet, because your skin uses the oil in your body to, you know, produce itself and all the things that protect it, that, uh, that that's what happens. Is, is that your opinion, too? Um, I think there's possibly more to it, but I've been talking back and forth with, um, for example, Amber about it, and it does yeah. seem it may be more complicated than that. Part of it could be a better ability to heal. It could be a better ability to tan in general. Um, one interesting thing is I used to not sunburn at all, and then when I went keto, I would sunburn, and then it would fade back to like pasty white. But then mm -hmm. when I went carnivore, I would burn still if I spent too long outside, but then it would fade into a tan. I don't know why that is. Ah. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, it's very weird. It might have something to do with uh, vitamin D levels. So mm -hmm. there's if you have sufficient vitamin D levels, then the skin will no longer want to absorb as much. So the tan is a bit of a preventing too much absorption that might have something to do with it. I honestly don't know. It's interesting. So, and, and you, you may not have any answer to this, which is absolutely fine, but I'm curious if, if you and Dave are seeing any kind of purposeful shift in the perception of high cholesterol within mainstream medical. Is, is that changing at all? With I mean, you and Dave are pumping out all of this amazing 
data and research and like facts and and of course the keto community are talking about it more and and the few keto doctors that are out there are saying the same thing are you seeing a shift yet um i would say maybe with one or two individuals um who kind of know who we are and kind of think it's interesting um i know some of the work i'm doing with lipoprotein little a is interesting to some people. Um, I don't know if that reaches up to higher up levels, but um, I think the NHANES data has sparked a lot of really good conversation with people. And Dave is always on Twitter talking to lipidologists and cardiologists and all these types of people. And what what's the response when he's out there talking to them? What, what are the, how is that being received? Uh, I would say a lot of respectful pushback. Um, like, this is interesting, but we have this amount of data that says this, so, you know, we're not too thrilled with the implication. Um, but there is discussion going on, and I think it's fair to push back, um, because they have evidence that they're looking at, we have evidence that we're looking at, and the only real way we're going to sort this out is just by talking it through. So they are giving us some time, which is very nice of them. I appreciate it. So tell us about, you mentioned earlier, cholesterol code. Tell us what that is and what that's all about. So cholesterolcode.com is a website that Dave runs and I help out at. I publish some articles there. Um, I actually just recently published an article on lipoproteins in the immune system. Which we will definitely link to. Um, so it's kind of like our living textbook, things that we learn and things that we're doing, we publish on there. So any experiments that we're doing, things like that. Um, within the next month or two, I'll probably have a post up about my most recent experiment, which was very, very high fat carnivore. Um, that was a fun one. And we both do a lot of self-experimentation, especially revolving around um, cholesterol. We have big write-ups that kind of cover singular topics like risk, or um, if you have high triglycerides on a low-carb diet, we have a post on that that can kind of help you walk through uh, potential reasons for that. And for the people out there who have really high triglycerides, like say 200 milligrams per deciliter or higher, and their HDL levels are normal, either the most likely scenarios are they didn't fast for 12 to 14 hours, water only, before the blood test, or... They have a coffee sensitivity. <laughs> People are never thrilled to hear about the second one. <laughs> Al alcohol can raise trigs too. Uh, yes, but chronic alcohol consumption from the studies I've read, it tends to artificially raise HDL first. And it's only when you start getting into like alcoholic fatty liver disease and stuff like that, that you start seeing the triglyceride response. Wow, okay. So we don't usually see high trigs for that reason. Oddly high HDL, yeah, sometimes I've seen that once. Um, but the high trigs are usually something like carb leaks. You're eating more carbs than you think they are on a high-fat diet. That's not great. Um, not fasting properly, coffee sensitivity. How did you guys figure out the coffee sensitivity thing? And what did you do to, so to figure that it out? it took a long time because we were talking about this back at I think at the first Keto Fest, because we knew on mm. some level, if you have coffee on the morning of the test, it can impact the cholesterol drop protocol. Right. And so it's like, okay, well, whatever. Um, but then we started seeing people who were coming to us on a low-carb diet, 
and they had really high triglycerides. It was really weird. And we started going through our list and it wasn't any of them. And it's we just started asking questions like, what is the commonality between these people? And mm. in a lot of cases, they were drinking coffee, which is common. But it's like, okay, well, we already know that if you have liquid or refined forms of fat in your coffee, then that can sometimes do it. Let's try no coffee for a couple days, two weeks, and get a retest and see. Because generally what we're recommending, um, we're saying like, this is what I would do in your situation is an elimination diet, water only, mm. that type of thing. See if it's something you're eating. And then they start adding things back and they add the coffee back and the trigs go back up. It's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> All right. So it was kind of like an epidemiological study sort of ad hoc with yeah. uh, how many people? Oh, goodness. Probably several dozen people. Um, and it was just a matter of time and trying different things. And mm. the only way we possibly could have figured that out is the people coming and bringing us their data and saying, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm yeah. seeing. I changed this. This happened. Very cool. Yeah. And we actually had someone who was willing to test out various different things because people are having this problem. They want to know, like, is decaf okay? Is filtered coffee okay? <laughs> yeah. No, what is it? And uh, Sean did all of this experimentation and wrote up a post for us. And it's on the website, um, guest post, high triglycerides with coffee or something like that. Um, and so he did this really tight experiment, keeping everything level, only changing coffee. So he took out coffee, his trigs went down. Uh, he confirmed that with another test. He added coffee back in, it goes back up. He mm. took coffee out again, goes back down, adds decaf, goes back up and mm. repeating that with filtered coffee, still high. And the benefit from that is we're able to kind of triangulate what it is and what it isn't. It doesn't mm -hmm. appear to be the caffeine. Not only because of what Sean has done, but because we're not seeing people who are drinking, you know, caffeinated tea or energy drinks or anything like that. It's coffee specifically. Hmm. And it doesn't appear to be the fat soluble aspects of it because filtering doesn't do anything. Um, so we don't know what causes it, but it seems to be coffee specifically. Um, yeah. And I almost suspect this is what happened with uh brenda because when she went carnivore her trigs went like super duper high and it seems that the lower carb people go the higher it gets yeah and so i wonder if that's part of what happened with her we actually had her retest it uh recently mm -hmm. and she didn't see the same effect when she went back to carnivore so it's like okay is this something mm -hmm. that can change over time? It's like another piece of this puzzle. So I'm hoping at some point we can figure out exactly what it is. But it's just like this really weird thing that I've honestly, I think I've only ever seen it in low carbers. And we've even seen people who had blood work before they went low carb. Triglycerides were normal. They were drinking coffee. They go low carb. Trigs go up drinking mm -hmm. coffee. And then they go carnivore and it goes super high. So it seems to be somewhat related on that aspect. It's just this hmm. mystery. <laughs> wow. So you mentioned um, earlier that you were doing high fat carnivore and you said it was fun. Was that fun because it tasted so good? Um, I mean, I did like the taste. It got really tedious at the end, um, mostly just because I wanted variety. But for the sake of the experiment, I had to keep it to really three items. 
It was a trimmed ribeye and then the fat trimming separately raw because I don't like cooked fat. grosses me out. Um, and then raw liver, which I eventually took out because it actually made me sick. Not because of contamination reasons, but after a while of eating it every single day, I was starting to become like mildly averse to it. And that eventually actually culminated in me getting physically sick. And I was like, all right, that's my end point. <laughs> hmm. Go away, liver. Please never come back. <laughs> um, but it was fun because the data that was coming in was just so fascinating. I was tracking ketones and blood glucose and uh, my weight as well. I've been hmm. weight stable for, I want to say, over a year now. Um, with carnivore, I had lost an additional like 20 pounds or something and then kind of stalled out. And it's like, okay, whatever. And then I go on this really high-fat carnivore where it's like two grams of fat to one gram of protein um, by macronutrient gram, and I start losing weight again. Hmm. And it's not like a pound. I think the end amount lost over three and a half weeks was six and a half to seven pounds, which is pretty significant for me. I'm not very tall. Um, I'm still waiting for the blood work to come back. Maybe once it comes in, I can come and chat about it. But I did not expect that much of a difference, honestly, with just increasing fat and keeping protein kind of moderate, which is funny because this is what we do a lot of the time on ketogenic diets. But right. I didn't expect that difference with carnivore. Define moderate. So I was eating about um, 59 grams of protein on average. Um, and I'm 5'2", and my lean mass is like 98 pounds or something. Um, so was that, was that amount of protein different to what you had been doing before you went high fat? Yeah. So before I was eating about 140 grams of protein per day and then about an equal amount of fat. Okay. So you tanked your protein. Yeah. And I wasn't limiting protein exactly what i was doing is i was taking this beef trimming um and if anyone else wanted to do this there's a whole bunch of people um you can use like egg yolk or whatever really um so i was taking this raw beef trimming and eating it first until i would get fat full and then i would move on to the lean protein and eat that until i was full um, mm. along with the liver and by doing that it was really fascinating because the macronutrients was pretty much pretty close to the same every day. It was about like 15% protein and then some carb from the liver. And that was just eating intuitively based off of what was making me full. So it was a really weird experience. The only complaint I had was the lack of variety, but that was necessary. And I think I will return to it um, after an upcoming experiment, which I start next week, um, because it was interesting. I want to see what doing that longer term does. Yeah. So what's the new experiment? We got to know now. <laughs> <laughs> so the new experiment is going to be a baseline, um, just eating ribeyes for like five days, and then I'll be switching over to high-carb, low-fat. Uh, Dave has done something similar. He used white bread and... Um, processed meat essentially i'm not doing that <laughs> uh bread messes with my mood so i don't mess with that um but i'll be doing sweet potato um probably some amount of fat like a tablespoon of butter probably i don't know um and then uh lean chicken 
And the reason I'm doing that is I've found some interesting movement from lipoprotein little a, which is supposed to be pretty much entirely genetic, um, goes up from inflammation, but other than that, it's supposed to stay relatively stable. Um, but over the course of doing these different experiments, like the cholesterol drop protocol, it seems like lipoprotein little a is tracking with LDL and fat intake. So I want to see if I tank my fat up to intake and increase carbs, if one, my LDL will go down, I assume yes, um, and two, if lipoprotein little a also follows. Because if so, that would imply it's following energy demand on some level, which doesn't make sense, but is also very interesting. <laughs> you said lipoprotein little a. Yeah. So lipoprotein little a is sort of like an LDL particle, but it has an extra protein on it that kind of swoops down like a tail. And that tail is used for a variety of different things. It collects um, oxidized pieces of cell membrane, and it can also uh, interact with plasminogen and kind of encourage clotting. I feel like you're on the Star Trek Enterprise now. What's that mean? Plasminogen. <laughs> so plasminogen is just something that helps with clotting. Plasminogen and fibrin work together. One builds up clots, one breaks it down. And lipoprotein little a comes in and helps the building up process, which is bad if you're, I mean, arguably bad if you're living a lifestyle that's kind of creating a lot of clotting, like smoking, for example. Um, and that's kind of the track that people tend to take with lipoprotein little a is higher is bad because it's involved in this clotting stuff. But it actually does have uh, useful parts to it. Part of it is we do need to clot sometimes. Sure. Um, people with high lipoprotein little a, they found die less from brain bleed outs, so brain hemorrhaging, <laughs> um, and that's probably due to the clotting aspect. The other thing is they can find lipoprotein little a in wounded tissue, and they think that's because it's helping with the healing process. So you can actually find lipoprotein little a in the arteries, and that's likely because the areas where it's found are damaged, and it's trying to help repair from that. So the general thinking behind lipoprotein little a is it's genetic, which I do think is true. Your baseline is genetic. I have high lipoprotein little a, and so does one of my parents. So that makes sense. Um, Dave has very low lipoprotein little a. Sometimes it's not even measurable. So there's this huge scale of difference. Um, but then there are other factors on top of that that seem to influence it. Like, for example, the amount of fat I'm eating seems to influence it, especially if it's saturated fat. Um, switching between beef and pork can influence it for unknown reasons. <laughs> um, and getting sick influences it. So whenever I get sick, it goes higher, um, which makes sense. There's more oxidation going on when you're sick, so it may be helping with that cleanup process. And then it also does bind to some pathogens like LDL does, um, but it has its own specific kind of targets. Um, it will bind to hepatitis C and inhibit its entry into cells, for example. So it's a very curious thing, and I've been kind of very fascinated by it ever since I started studying uh, lipidology and cholesterol because it's so different, but part of that difference seems to be just specific functions. So it has a very, very particular job that it's doing. Wow, this is fascinating stuff, Siobhan. It really is. It's very cool. And um, you are you going to be talking about any of this at Keto Fest? 
So I mentioned the transient insulin resistance of infection. That's what I'll be talking about at KetoFest. Okay. Um, typically with insulin and insulin resistance, we tend to think of carbohydrate, but there's a whole other part of the story beyond that. And I kind of want to give that a little spotlight. It sounds great. I can't wait. <laughs> Super excited to see you in a few weeks. Yes. Thanks very much, Siobhan. It's been great. All right, then. Uh, I guess it's time for some... Uh, what are we doing, Siobhan? Recipes. Yeah, recipes. <laughs> <laughs> recipes! Recipes! <laughs> Carrie's just sitting there smiling. Uh, I'm, I'm staying out of this. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, I don't know if you guys have recipes, but I have one that I want to share. So, and I made this the other day. It's basically shrimp tacos, but you use a romaine lettuce leaf for the taco shell. It's very fresh and light and delicious. Uh, and you're going to use large shrimp. I don't know how many. It depends on how many tacos you want to make. But, you know, you're probably talking about three shrimp per taco. But I don't use the jumbo ones. Just use large. And I get them frozen and peeled and deveined. And you just have to take the tail off. You cut them into three pieces. Like, uh, just so that they're bite sized and saute them over medium heat in butter. Get the pan to medium, throw the butter in, melt it, and then only for three or four minutes do you want to cook the shrimp. You want to turn them pink, um, but you don't want to, you don't want to hammer them. You, it's very easy to overcook shrimp in all seafood, actually. So if you like pico de gallo, it's very simple. You finely dice, uh, even parts onion and tomato and tomatillo if you want a little extra bite. That's like a gooseberry, but it kind of tastes like a green tomato. And then add some jalapeno in there to taste. Of course, you know, if, you, if you're adverse to heat, you want just a little bit of jalapeno. I, I like put in almost as much as the rest of the stuff because I like that. And then you want to add some lime juice. Just squeeze it. Squeeze some lime in there and salt, pepper to taste. You got your pico de gallo. Also, a little olive oil in there just to uh, give it something to swim in. And also, for shrimp tacos, I make a crema. That's just a, a Mexican cream sauce, and it can be made a couple of different ways. The easiest way to make a crema is sour cream, salt, pepper, and lime juice. But what I do for this one is I want it a little hot and a little sweet. So I take a quarter cup of sour cream, a quarter cup of mayo, teaspoon of cumin powder, teaspoon of Worcestershire sauce for a little umami, a tablespoon of chipotle hot sauce, I think I use Cholula, and a tablespoon of allulose or other sweetener, and maybe a tablespoon of lime juice. You want to add some lime juice in here and salt and pepper to taste and just mix all that up and that just makes a shrimp taco pop. So using a romaine lettuce leaf, you lay down the crema in there. And you lay down the shrimp in the crema because that gives it something to stick to. And then top it with a pico de gallo and enjoy. They're delicious and I can't stop eating them. <laughs> that does sound good. <laughs> I have a somewhat sarcastic recipe because it's pretty much the only thing I make these days. And what it is is you take a ribeye and you put it <laughs> in a cast iron pan <laughs> and you cook it until when you poke it, it feels like it's medium rare. <laughs> put salt on it if you like salt I don't uh, and also recently I've been dipping it in melted butter because it's delicious that sounds so good <laughs> and so easy 
Actually, <laughs> out of the two, I have to say that I'll go with Siobhan, but that's only because my heat tolerance is minus one. So oh, okay. I know that after one bite of Carl's delicious shrimp tacos, I would be running for a fire hose. So Yeah, that really, really hits me in the right place. I love heat. All right, well, that's the show. Carrie will be back with a recipe next week. But until then, if you have anything you want to tell us, something we said wrong, something you don't agree with, some more research that you found to support or refute anything we've said, send it by email to dudes at twoketodudes.com. And you can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Two Keto Dudes. Make sure to use the hashtag Two Keto Dudes. And of course, if you want to join the free ketogenic forum, it's forum.twoketo.com. And you can have a look around the ketogenic forum without needing to create an account by starting with success.twoketo.com. Also, check out our Facebook group, The Keto Kitchen, if Facebook is your thing. And if you feel like supporting our forums and all the podcasts we produce, please consider making a monthly pledge on our Patreon page at patreon.2keto.com. If you pledge $20 or more per month, you will have access to an exclusive Facebook group, Two Keto Dudes Gold. We also have a free Facebook fan page at fb.2keto.com, so go follow us there. And you can see our podcasts and other videos on YouTube at youtube.2keto.com. Also, we have an Amazon affiliate store. You can buy your favorite keto ingredients and devices by going to amazon.2keto.com and you can help us out at the same time. And if you haven't already, please go leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's how new people get to know about what we do. Two Keto Dudes is brought to you by Two Keto LLC, who strives to support the low-carb community with podcasts and other publications. And now, kids, whatever you do, Keep calm and keto on. Keep calm and keto on, people. Keep calm and keto on. Yeah, Siobhan. And we'll see you next time on Two Two Keto Keto Dudes. Dudes.